Well, dear friends, I would ask you to please, first of all, turn your attention there to that Old Testament reading that I read to you in your hearing. And I want to take a verse, really, as a sort of springboard into what we will be considering later on in that passage that we read in Romans chapter 7. I want to, first of all, consider the subject of a deceived heart. There's nothing worse than a deceived heart. We were thinking of that this morning. And uh, I trust that what we will see of the life of the Apostle Paul and what we have in Romans 7 is the conversion experience of the Apostle Paul. He was once a religious man. And we could even be religious here tonight and yet be as lost as ever. As lost as Paul was. There'd be nothing worse and there'd be nothing more terrible for me to be a minister tonight and to give a wrong diagnosis of what truly a Christian is and what a lost person is. A true diagnosis of a Christian is somebody that has seen his sin and that has repented of it. We've sung just a moment ago of the grieving soul of one who sees his or her sin. There are many that have religion, but they have not Christ. There in Isaiah 44, I want you to notice, Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, has been speaking about those who, as we read, they will bow down to a stump of wood. They will make an image. They will bake bread with that piece of wood from that same tree. And they'll also make a god out of it. These things are foolish, and men will bow down to things that are unprofitable. We can even bow down to a false kind of Christianity, and that is no life at all. It's to have a deceived soul. Notice the verse 20 of Isaiah 44, he feedeth on ashes. This man that has taken a piece of wood, burnt it even made an idol of it. It says, he feedeth on ashes, a deceived heart. There you have it, my friends, hath turned him aside. What is the problem? It says there a deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? As a man holds an object of worship in his right hand, that cannot deliver him. Paul, he held to the fact that he was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, of the tribe of Benjamin. That was an idol for him. His Jewishness was an idol. In fact, really the biggest idol was himself. He prided himself in all that he'd attained to as a Jew. As we turn now, just for a moment, as we look here at Isaiah 44, it speaks of the servant of the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus. He who made heaven and earth, he who is the servant of Jehovah, is the one who will pour water upon him that is thirsty, that is with reference to his spirit. That has been my prayer, that the Lord will pour out his spirit upon that thirsty soul, and we know it's the Lord who makes a man to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You may just simply have a religion, but you do not know what it is to know God. 
and to enjoy him. You notice here, this person that has an idol of worshipping things that doesn't know the true and the living God, he is pictured on feeding on ashes. Can you imagine what it is to eat ash? It's something that doesn't sustain you. It's something that doesn't profit you. It's dry. And so many have an empty, dry religion. That is because they have a deceived heart. Now I want to turn you here to this passage. Here in Romans chapter 7, that which we read in the second part. Romans chapter 7. And I want us to consider here Paul is writing as a saved man. He's writing to this church in Rome and he is telling them, he begins by chapter 1, telling them that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Why? Because in this gospel, there's a righteousness of God. And it is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, which comes by faith, by believing upon him. And it is by that, having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have a right standing before God. We know he believed he, he died for his people and that he lived for them. He lived for them to give, him, to give them his righteousness. But the Christian life is more than that. It's not just believing certain truths. There are many people, my friends, that will believe the gospel report. They understand that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. They understand that, but they understand that principle. But they have one or two problems. And Paul addresses this. They have what is called either libertinism or legalism. Libertinism or legalism. And neither of those equate to salvation. Neither, neither of those. There are those that say, Jesus Christ died for my sin. Now it doesn't matter how I live. I can live as I want. I can do as I please. We thought in the prayer meeting this morning, didn't we? Of what is important in the life as we read there from Psalm 37. Where is the law of God in the Christian's heart? It's not in his head. It's neither on his back. The libertine has the law of God in his head. He understands certain truths. He may even understand that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners. And he may even understand the way of salvation. But the law of God is still in his head. And he uses, as Paul says to the Galatians, his, as it were, his liberty as an occasion to the flesh. To do what he wants. That's not a Christian. Paul says, don't use your liberty in Christ if you're a Christian. To the occasion to, to live, you're now not your own. You were bought at a price, he says. Don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. So there's the problem of libertinism. We speak of liberty. But the Christian has a true liberty, not to live to himself, but he is set free to serve the living God. That's why he's saved. And then there's the problem of legalism. I said this morning in the prayer meeting, 
And I believe the Lord led me to that text. We read there in Psalm 37, in that Psalm of David, the law of God is in his heart. When God saves you, as Paul even says here now in this chapter, Romans 7, he says, I delight in the law of God in the inward man that is the heart. That's the Christian. If the law of God, my friend, is in the head, we'll work out our way around not doing the law of God. And I want to show you from this passage, Romans 7, that the Christian, he now serves the law through the hands of a redeemer. We're not under the condemning power of the law. But as we will see, and it's amazing how Paul uses marital language to explain that we are now married to the one who is the keeper of the law. Not to break the law, not to do as we wish, but to live under that law that we might live a glorious and full life. That we might live a, a life pleasing to Almighty God. Those of you who are Christians, I want to tell you this is Christianity. It's neither carrying the law in our heads, it's just having a mere head knowledge of what's right and wrong, but the law of God is in the heart. The legist, legalist, he carries the law on his back and it breaks him. Paul was carrying the law, as it were, on his back. He was a Pharisee. He thought that by keeping the law, he could be justified. He could be right with God. But my friends, none of us, not a single soul here, can keep the law of God and be right. For whoever, as we will think tonight, breaks one of the least of the commandments of God, he's broken the lot. And I want to show you how and why that is so. You see, Paul didn't understand this. He didn't understand that even covetousness was a breaking of the first commandment. That is what happened in the garden. When Adam and Eve, and Eve beheld that fruit, she broke the first commandment. She not only committed covetousness, but in desiring that, she didn't honor God. Neither did Adam. And more than that, they committed murder. They murdered themselves and plunged the whole of the human race into a lost eternity. And they stole and they bore false witness about God. Let me say to you, when we consider the, the commandments, how many of them? There are ten. And I want you to think of it like this. When the law saves us, Paul says here in this chapter, the law is spiritual. There's a time in our life when we don't understand that. When we're lost. When we look at the law of God and we just see, oh, well, it's just these commandments. But it has no dynamic upon our life. If I can use it this way. Imagine we have, of course, here ten commandments. Imagine ten fingers. Now, when you touch this finger, you feel it in all the fingers. You can just imagine that. Or maybe you've got ten teeth and you've got... 
Ten nerves coming from each tooth, touching each tooth. That's a hundred nerves, isn't it? And you touch that tooth or you touch that finger, the whole lot hurts. Why? Because the law is spiritual. It is all connected. That's how we can say with James, the law is one. You break one, you break them all because each and every one of the commandments touches on another. You covet, you murder. That's what you do. There are various ways. You can commit spiritual covetousness. You can commit spiritual adultery. You can steal. You can steal from God. You claim to be a Christian. You sin. You do something wrong. You've stolen God's reputation. You've taken away his good name from this world. You see, that's how we can, we can break the commandments of God because they're all interconnected one way or another. And Paul didn't understand this. He was once, he thought he was a keeper of the law. Now, I want you to notice he uses powerful language here. I know in our midweek studies, we've been considering the subject of marriage. That's not essentially what Paul is doing here in Romans 7. But he uses this illustration, verse 2. For the woman, he says, I'll read from verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them which know the law. So he's addressing the subject of the law of God. Now Paul, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, of Jew of Jews, of the tribe of Benjamin. The law, he said, I was blameless. Zeal, he said, I persecuted the church. That's how zealous he was for the truth. But he didn't understand that he was sinning against God. He didn't understand that he was a covetous man, that he was proud, so blind in his ill. Now notice what he says. Now ye know, ye know not, ye know, ye know not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now here he's going to speak about the law of marriage. For the woman which hath the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Now he's not speaking, he's going to speak about something else. How we were once married, how we were under the law of God. Now there's a sense in which a Christian was under the demands of the law to have life. And of course, we forfeited all of that in Adam, didn't we? The day Adam sinned. And it's true, every man is under the law of God. And the man that continueth not in the law of God, cursed is that man. He's lost. He's got no hope. But notice, so long as she is married to that husband, well, she is under the law of her husband. But when he dies, he says she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, now he turns this, to speak of spiritual matters, that even then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Now, this is true with us when we were, those of us who are now Christians, we were once under the law of God, weren't we? And uh, we were married, we were under that, God had joined us to his law as his creatures. And when the law said, do this, what did we say? No. I'm not going to do it. When God's word said, no, do this, you said, no. I'm going to live how I want. 
I'm going to please myself. That was us. We were adulterous spiritually to God. And this is what Paul is teaching here. Wherefore, my brethren, verse 4, ye also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. When Jesus Christ died for his people, let me say, my unbelieving friends, Jesus Christ actually went to the cross and he died as their federal head, as their representative there upon the cross. When he went into the waters of baptism, why was he baptized? Well, the, his baptism was a picture of his death. Didn't he say to his disciples, I'm going to be baptized with a baptism that you're not able? And he was speaking of his death. When he went down into the water, it was picturing what he was going to do as the federal head, as the representative of his, of his people. He was going down, as it were, in the Jordan of death to die. As Paul says, we were buried with him in baptism. What he did is he died the death of deaths for his people there at the cross at Calvary. That's what he did. And Paul tells us here, we have become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That's amazing. When Christ died, he took the punishment. He took the wrath of Almighty God. And God's people, in a sense, he procured their salvation through his death. They shall not have to face a second death. Why? Look, why did he do this? We become dead to the law. That's the law. That's the justice. That's the demands of God. Why? That ye should be married to another. Who is that? To Jesus Christ. Even to him who is raised from the dead. You see, he died for the believer that they would be joined to him forever. Inseparable. And what God has joined, let no man break asunder. And notice even to him who is raised from the dead. And you see, because he lives, all who believe in him, all who he died for, also will be raised from the dead. To never die again, but to have a glorious body like his body. That's why he died. But also more than that, notice that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That's the whole reason he saves a soul. Not simply to take you to heaven, my friend, but that you should live and bear fruit unto God. I want to tell you that's the Christian life. And Paul, and yet while he writes this, what he's going to do now, he's going to tell us of his conversion experience and how once he, he was dead to the things of God. And now he's alive to God, and yet he finds there's a law in him. It's still there. It's called the law of sin. Now notice what he says in verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. He says, you've got a new spirit now. Christ died for you and he now lives in you. What shall we say then? 
He says, is the law sin? Was the law bad? No, it wasn't bad. And it's not bad. It's still not bad. The law is a good thing. He says, God forbid. In, fa in fact, the Greek is meganoita. May it never be. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. It's by the law cometh the knowledge of sin, as he would tell us. Except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Now, Paul will take us to his pre-conversion experience of what he thought he was. And maybe, as I said, the subject this evening is the deceived heart. And you see, the Apostle Paul, for a long time, a religious zealot, and we can even be. Or we can be the libertine. We have certain knowledge in the head, but the law's not in the heart. The problem, you see, for Paul, in his case, he was carrying the law on his back. And it was weighing him down. That's how Martin Luther was. Martin Luther was trying to earn a righteousness, but he soon realized he couldn't earn it. But I want you to notice, and this is the Spirit's work, my friends, and this we pray he will bring to a man's soul. But notice how God works. Verse 8. I'll read from the end of verse 7. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Now notice what he says. For I was alive without the law. At least he, he thought he was. Once. Notice what he says, verse 9. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. When it really came. When Paul... Well, he was on that road, was he not, to Damascus with many papers in his hands. Zealous. He was even coveting the church of Jesus Christ. Hating, despising the church of Jesus Christ. Despising the fact that the gospel has gone out. And this religious zealot, well, he's hell-bent against Christians. He prided himself in his past and he had to say, all that I had, I now consider loss for the sake of the excellency of Jesus Christ, my Lord. But notice, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He was like a dead man. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. He realized that the law condemned him. He was not a keeper of the law, but he was undone. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me. There you have it. We said the theme this evening there from Isaiah 44 verse 20 is the deceived heart. And Paul had a deceived heart for a many a year. And by it slew me. You see, he was slain. The law really came. There was a time when he really only understood the law in a very surface way, in a very superficial way. But as I said, you know, when you look at the law, when you realize that covetousness is actually a sin against God, it's not just a sin in itself, 
but is to sin against. It's not to love God. It's to love other things more than God. Even to love the praise of men, that, that's a sin. What is man that he should have any pride? We should, we've got nothing to be proud about, my friends. We've got everything to be ashamed about. But when the law comes, you see, it, it, it showed Paul that he was a covetous man, that he, he was not loving God. And he wasn't doing fellow men good. He was as blind as a bat. The word of God says, not, do not make an idol. Well, Paul was his own idol. His religion was his idol. Everything else was an idol. He did not really honor the Lord's day because he didn't honor the Lord of the day. He didn't know anything about the Lord of the day. And in fact, you can even break the fifth commandment because the fifth commandment says, honor thy father and mother. And that we know that the law is spiritual. It doesn't just touch concerning our earthly parents, but all superiors. Those who were over you. Paul was ignoring that. You see, every, as it were, every finger, every tooth is connected together. The whole law is one. Paul didn't see it. He says here, the law is spiritual. And when God saves us, he awakens us to our sin. And the depth and the immensity of his law and he shows us that we have fallen far short of his requirements. We don't love God as we should. We certainly don't love our fellow men as we ought. But only one did, Jesus Christ. But he, he died for his people, that they might love him, and they might serve him and by the way, Jesus Christ is the law. He is the lawgiver who gave his own life for, for them who never kept the law. Now they serve him. You see, it says they married to him. But isn't this a blessed thing? We've been considering the subject of marriage. In God's eyes, marriage is forever. And the scriptures say, who, what shall separate us who believe upon Christ from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ? Nothing, Paul says. You get to Romans 8. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul thought he could do it all. He had his religion. But he had a deceived heart. And the scripture says it's like eating ashes. Doesn't sustain you, you see. But when you're saved, I want you to see Paul. As we move on in this chapter, very briefly, here is the picture of the saved heart. Here is the picture of one who delights in the law of God in the inward man. He will speak of this here. Look at verse 22, but I read from verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. But here's the thing, Paul's got a dilemma. Where is the law now? It's not in his head. It's not in his back. 
For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He says the inward man has changed. Inside he has changed. Before everything was on the outside, how he looked to others, his phylactery, his long robes, his prayers, as the Pharisee prayed on the street corners to be seen of men. God saw him for what he was. But God sees him for what he is now on the inward man. He's changed. And what is going on in the inward man of somebody that is saved? And here's whether to check whether we are still self-deceived or not. And I want you to ask, as I must ask with myself, am I deceived? Are you deceived? Do we have that which is merely ashes, that cannot satisfy, that cannot save us? Or do we have the law of God in the inward man? I want you to notice here, Paul, after telling us how when the law came, he died. He was like a dead man. He saw himself as undone before God. And then he says various things. First of all, he says in verse 12, the law is holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. You see, for the Christian, when we, when we speak of the law, it's not just the Ten Commandments. Let me put it to you this way. The Ten Commandments are impregnated upon every page of Scripture, as it were. We see them worked out. We see them applied. We see how they should be lived out when you come to the New Testament. In fact, you'll find the commandments, as it were, in various passages. You go to Matthew chapter 5. He tells us about covetousness. He tells us about murder. And then he opens it up. He expands upon it. The law of God is not simply the Ten Commandments, but it's the Ten Commandments applied in all of the Scripture in the Christian's life. And Paul says here about the law, he says, the law is holy. And that really means the whole of the Bible is holy. So when you, you turn to the pages of Scripture, you, you, you understand that you are treading on holy ground, my friend. And you and I cannot afford to play around with God's word. And we say, I better do it. I better put it to practice in my life. It's holy. Something else he says, and the commandment holy and just. That means right. This is the right way to live. We've been singing, haven't we, in that Psalm 119. How the commandments of God are exceedingly wondrous. How they are wonderful. How we are kept from sin by keeping God's commandments. David could say, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And it's true for the Christian, isn't it? My friends, if we would be wise, we must receive, receive the, the word of God. The whole of the law. The law of God is described in Psalm 119 in various ways. The precepts of God. The commandments of God. The ways of God. As I said, Psalm 119, every verse is, we have a synonym of the law of God. And when we're saved, we, we say, God's word is the rule of my life now. And I, I dare walk outside of it. Paul saw this, and, and, and this is what 
It's a sign that you have begun to be saved and the Lord has worked in you. That You say, Lord, your word is everything. If I don't have your word, I have nothing. And I am destitute. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. It's good for us, my friends. The commandments of God are not grievous for the Christian. They don't harm us. They only do us good. But then notice what he says. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin. He says the problem is me. My heart, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. You see, as you come to God's word, you realize just how sinful you really are. And I am. And he says, for we know that the law is spiritual. It's, it's not just the bare letters, isn't it? They, all of these commandments, they reach into the deep crevices of my soul. And when I commit this sin, I, I can see how I have murdered my brother, how I have hated, how I have coveted, how I have not honored the Lord, and how I have not honored others. That's how we need to think. When, when you're born again, you're made alive to these things. That you don't just see stealing as, as, as stealing in itself, but you see it's against God and you see it's against other people. Especially if you claim to be a child of God, you bear false testimony. You bear false testimony about God and how you grieved that you've let God down in your life. And you've let others down and you've let the church down. That is the Christian life, my friends. But notice this struggle. And my friends, this is a struggle that I would say even to the most tender spirit here tonight. You may be as a flickering candle. The Lord said, he will not quench a smoldering flax, nor bruise or crush a broken reed. He won't. But you know, he does that work in our souls to bring us to conviction. And it's good. David said, it is good that I've been afflicted that I may not go astray. And Paul here was afflicted in his spirit, in his soul. And notice the, his affliction in his heart. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. You see, the Christian... He finds himself to be such a contradiction. Such a contradiction. But this is true. This is light come in the soul. And then I do that which I would not. Verse 16, I consent unto the law of God that it is good. Yeah, I say, Lord, your law is good, but I love you, Lord. But now, then, he says, it's no more I that do it. But sin. He's saying it's not the old person. Or person now that the I here is, is this is the new person. But it's sin. It's yes, it, it's 
The old is still there, but there is a new person. He's not the same. He's not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here. We misunderstand. He's not a split personality. But he's saying, I find there's something rather odd here. I go to do good, but sin's there. It's a law. It's a principle that I find within me. And he moves on. And he struggles with this. Now, if I would do that, verse 20, that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. See, the me, as it were, is the old person. It's not as if he's two different people. That's what I was. But that's not who I am now, and that's not who I want to be, Lord. And he says all of this. He finds this law, verse 21, that evil is present with him. Why? For, because it's a connecting word, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. You see, my friend here, the law of God, where is it? It's in the heart. It's not in the head. And that's the question I put to us all tonight. Where is the law of God? God promises in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law in their inward parts. That's the new covenant. That's how we know. We want to do his will. We desire to do it. But you know, the Christian doesn't lay there on his laurels and rest on his couch and say, oh, well, that's it. I'll go to sleep now. God knows my heart, and I'm just not going to do it. I want you to notice what Paul says after all of this. Oh, wretched man, first of all. Verse 24, that I am. My friends, when you begin to acknowledge yourself for who you are, you can know then you are the Lord's. The man who sees himself to be wretched, that he finds no help. Look at Paul. If you read through all these verses, he doesn't know what to do. He's beside himself. What do I do? But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. The first is acknowledgement of sin. Oh, wretched man that I am. And he asks a sort of rhetorical question. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, I'll tell you who it is. It's the same one who died for Paul on the cross. I thank God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the answer. It's through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, and my sinner friend, if this is your thought tonight, you despair at your soul, good. Paul did. But what's the answer? So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. You see, here's another thing. He realizes that the law of God in his heart But he sets his mind now to serve God. It's not that the mind is not engaged. The mind is fully engaged. 
Because it sees the wretchedness of the heart. And the mind says, you know what? This is what God's word says I must do. Turn from my sin. By the keeping of the law, we depart from evil. You don't say, Pastor, I'm struggling with sin. And you're not coming to church. I'm not surprised. I'm never surprised. God has given his law for our good. For our strengthening. He has put things here, you know. When I was a young Christian, I have to confess this. So often I thought I was wiser than God. So many of the things that he commanded, I didn't quite understand. And to my own folly and foolishness, I fell. And I want to warn you to avoid, especially those who are young Christians, such fallings. Because they often hurt us, and they do tremendously hurt us. They bring us great shame. But it's as we keep his law, friends, in the heart, as well as the head now. You know, here's the thing with a Christian. I hear often people say, well, my heart says this. Yeah, well, you must listen also to your head. Because sometimes your heart can be deceived. It's the head and the heart now, isn't it? Paul says, I serve the law with the mind but also while the heart is poor, but the heart will never truly be strengthened unless the mind comes to the word and the mind is strengthened by the word. What does Paul say in Romans 12? He says, by the renewing of your mind. And I tell you what, there's a lot of learning that I had to unlearn later on in the Christian life so that I would walk right. And those are hard lessons to learn. But blessed when God teaches us. Now here's the question again. Do you love the Lord Jesus? When you look at your sin, when you see, as Paul says here, he looked at his life. What did he say of himself? How proud he was as a Pharisee. Under Gamaliel, he said, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and the Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, he said, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I, those things counted loss for the sake of Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, friend, when the Lord saves you, he doesn't just die for that sinner on the cross, but he comes to live in your heart. And he comes to enthrone your heart. But as Paul said earlier here, that you might bear fruit unto God. The Christian life is about bearing glorious fruit to God. Not wandering and living a sort of self-styled Christian life, but living for God. Paul was so zealous that he was lost. There are many 
who call themselves Christians, but they really, they're libertines. It's all in the head. And they work around ways of, they say they're a Christian, they believe the word of God, and yet they just live a life of libertinism. But my Bible says he sets the prisoners free to serve him. I was once in chains of darkness, living my own life, living for this world. But I thank God, the Son of God set me free to serve him his way. And that's what we long, that the Lord will save people to serve the living God. What did he say concerning the Thessalonians? Paul, he said, you turn from your idols to do what? To serve the living God. May God grant his power. May we have substance, a real life in Christ, that we may bear fruit unto God. For his name's sake, amen.